Amen. Good to see you all here this morning. God is good. Today is Father's Day, and I am just so thankful, not just for my father and my spiritual father, but I'm thankful for the generation of the fathers. You know, it's funny. When my grandmother passed away uh, in 2003, I began to notice that not only had my grandmother passed away, but grandmothers in general are passing away. It's like a whole generation. My grandmother was a part of a generation, and, and, uh, you know, her generation dressed a certain way. You know, my grandmother, she had one of those house coats with no buttons, and when she went outside, she had to hold it together right here. (laughs) You know, boy, get in this house. It's cold out out here. Get in this house, boy. You know, that, that was her, you know, she, she talked a certain way. She was, from, she was from Arkansas, and she grew up in a certain way. And that whole generation is, is you know, like I, what I realize is we have to cherish individuals right. in that generation that, that are among us still and recognize, you know, as long as we have you with us, we're going to cherish you. Yeah. Well, I'm noticing the generation of the fathers and, and realizing that we have to cherish that generation, that that when we see that generation, we've got to honor it. We've got to cherish it. And so I, I, today I have a desire to honor the fathers Amen. and to honor that generation of the fathers. And, uh, you know, I think of so many that have had an impact on my life. You know, I just sent Dr. Sam Huddleston a text message thanking him for being uh, uh, one of the greatest fathers in the body of Christ. Uh, he's of that generation of the fathers and, and has had such an impact on so many. And, and so there's so many that we could honor today, and it goes on and on and on. And uh, Gersha Asfal, it's good to see you back from Ethiopia. God bless you, sir. Yeah, yeah wonderful. We've missed you. And so glad you're home. Um, so, so Father's Day uh, is happening today, and, and I hope you enjoy the day and take the time to honor the generation of the fathers. Even if you don't have a natural father to honor, you can honor the generation of the fathers. And when you see a good father, I mean, somebody who takes care of their kids, encourage them. Stop to encourage them and say, you're a good father. You don't know how much that means Especially a young father, you know, who has young children, you know. Take them aside and say, you're a good father. I see the way you care for your kids. You know, I see Troy here. And, you know, when I first started to get to know Troy, when TJ and Troy first came to Living Hope, I just noticed what an awesome father Troy was. I mean, he just, you know, little Joseph. And Joseph was just a little guy at that time. And, and, and Troy would just hold him so lovingly. And, you know, I remember we were out to, out to lunch one time after church, and, and, uh, and Joseph fell asleep in Troy's arms. And Troy was looking at his face and he had just a little bit of a little booger in his nose you know and i've never seen a father so lovingly just take the booger out of his son's nose <laughs> you know it was just so loving and intimate and and you know and so uh i was like i gotta remember that because my daughter's gonna have some boogies too and i'm gonna i i, I can i can extract them lovingly <laughs> then I became a father and realized you got to deal with more than boogers. Boogers is, boogers is small stuff. Um, so we're going to continue our series today. I just wanted to say a word about the fathers, but we're going to continue our series today. We're in a series, really it's a two-year series called One Things, and if you see the One Things banners and, and stuff hanging around and, and uh, on the screen and on our website, uh, it's an eight-part it's it's eight series that will take us, three, uh, take us two years, and we're going to cover uh, eight primary areas of growth in our lives. And we're in the first section right now, which is spirituality. And the month of June is dedicated to personal spirituality, developing a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, two Sundays ago, uh, my wife preached a powerful sermon on, on creating space for God, making time for God. How many know that your spiritual life begins 
not simply when you say a prayer, but when you make a decision to make space for God in your daily life. Taking time to be with God in your daily life. And you know, as evangelicals, we put so much emphasis upon making a personal decision for Christ. If you want to receive Jesus, lift your hand and people lift their hands. Everybody bow your head, close your eyes. Nobody's looking around. Lift your hand and somebody lifts their hand. Okay, now say this prayer with me and you say this prayer. Okay, now you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Great. But it's having a relationship with God is more about what you do after that moment. It's more about what you do after that moment. Do you actually make time for God in your daily life? And what tends to happen so much, what we're looking at, you know, we're disillusioned really with the whole concept of salvation in the body of Christ because what we're looking at is, is in contemporary Christianity, the back door is, is just as big as the front door. You might have 300 people get saved in a church in a year, lift their hand, receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But by the end of the year, maybe 15 of them are left. 285 of them walked away. They said the prayer and walked away. And this is the problem. Saying a prayer at an altar is good, but if you don't do anything, if you don't actually walk with God after that day, it's like my wife and I getting married and standing at the altar and say, do you promise to love, honor, and cherish her till death do you part? I do. I do. But then we never spend a moment together after that day. And six months later, you say, how's your marriage going? I say, oh, it's great. You know, we're married because that day we stood at the altar and said the prayer. Well, where's your wife? You know, I haven't seen her in a while. Actually, I haven't talked to her since that day. But I said the prayer. I said I do, so I know we're married. And I meant it. When I said I do, I meant it. So we're married. But it's not about the wedding. It's about the marriage. The wedding is a moment. The marriage is a lifetime. And so when when you make a decision to come to Christ, it's like a wedding. You make a commitment. You say I do to God. You say yes to Jesus. You invite him to come into your life. But next, you've got to make time for him in your daily life. And so we talked about carving out time for God, taking 30 minutes a day or taking an hour a day, whatever it is, to set aside and seek the face of God. And then last Sunday, we talked about filling that space with God. We talked about not just making space with God, but filling the space with God. Because how many know that all of us, I'm sure every single one of us in this place has experienced it, that you've gotten on your knees to pray, but it felt like God just wasn't there with you. Like you went to have a meeting with God, but he forgot, you know, he just got tied up. And he's a busy God, you know. He's, he's got so many people to take care of, you know. And so if he doesn't show up to meet with me, you know, when I set aside the time, well, I just, you know, chalk it up to he's busy. But how many know we have to learn how to commune with God? How to come into that place of communion with God and how to fill that time with God. And so last Sunday we talked about filling that space with worship, and with prayer, and that if we fill that space with worship and with prayer, God will fill it with his presence. And so learning how to pray and learning how to worship and learning how to seek the face of God and do it on a daily basis. Now, there's so much that we tend to talk about in the church. There's so much that we tend to talk about as Christians, and we talk about things like ethics, like doing the right thing, making right decisions. You know, the Ten Commandments, so much of it is just about ethics. Uh, Don't kill. How many know it's a good idea not to kill people? Right? You know, don't uh, steal. You know, how many know it's a good idea not to steal stuff? You know, I mean, when they say we don't want the Ten Commandments on the walls at schools. Uh, so 
You know, let's promote stealing then. You know, let's promote killing. I mean, isn't, isn't, wouldn't it be okay if we just said, you know, have respect for your elders. Honor your father and your mother, right? So that you, you know, wouldn't it be better if kids were more obedient to their parents, right? And, you know, I mean, it's just simple things, right? Ethical things, right? Ethics can get more complicated, though. How many of you have ever worked in a workplace where you felt like what was expected of you on your job came into conflict with your values as a believer in Jesus Christ? How many felt like the schedule that you have to keep on your job prevents you from going deeper with God in prayer? You say, I just, I work so much and I'm so tired, I just don't have time. Well, I want to look at the story of this guy named Daniel. Now, we have a book after his name in the Old Testament, and uh, it's called Daniel. (laughs) And the book of Daniel tells us about a time in Israel, about 605 B.C., in which Babylon had come into Israel and overtaken the nation, conquered the nation of Israel as they had conquered the entire Near Eastern world. And so the Babylonian Empire ruled over the entire Near Eastern world at the time. And what Babylon did under King Nebuchadnezzar was they came into Israel around 605 B.C. and started taking captives. There were these raids where they took these captives... And what they would do is they would look for, for young people that were really wise, learned, uh, like the most up-and-coming, you know, full of potential and, and ability, the smartest in school, the best athletes. Yeah. And they would just snag them because what they were trying to do was fill the court of Nebuchadnezzar with the wisest people from his entire kingdom, his entire empire. He believed that if he had a collection of the wisest people from every nation counseling him then he would be able to maintain his kingdom indefinitely. So they found this guy named Daniel, and he had three friends. You know what the three friends' names were? What were their names? No, 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 no. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. When they took them to Babylon, they gave them the names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I know what you were thinking, and I'm not going there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were, the name, those were the Babylonian names that they were given. But their names were Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, and then Daniel. And they took them into the king's service. And what we see in Daniel chapter 1 is the first thing they encountered was a conflict. The king wanted them to eat and to drink. The king's meat and the king's wine. Why? Because he wanted them to be healthy. So the first demand of their job was to eat foods that would defile them as a Jew. You say, it's hard for me to work in this place because I'm just expected to be an alcoholic. Because after work, the whole company goes to the bar and they drink themselves under the table. And so I have to do it because that's what the company does. You say, I have to go to strip clubs with my boss and the other. You know, you find yourself in this situation where there's a demand of your job that puts you in a position where you feel like, I have to defile myself. But the scripture says that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the king's meat. He said, I'm not going to use my job as an excuse to compromise my character. I'm not going to use my situation, whatever my situation is, or however demanding it is, I'm not going to allow it to interrupt the personal commitments that I've made to God. For Daniel, his personal commitments to God took precedence over his situation. This is the key. I'm I'm getting somewhere. 
And so he went to the ruler there, the leader that was put over them by the king, and he said, look, we can't eat this stuff. We can't drink this stuff. We can't do the things that you all are doing. See, the thing is, we believers in Jesus Christ, we want to fit in. In the workplace, in school, in our communities, with our friends, we're constantly wanting to fit in when the call of God is to be holy, which means to be different. It means that there's going to be a degree to which you don't fit in. Now, we don't want to not fit in simply because we're being pharisaical and legalistic and judgmental of everybody else. We want, to, we want if we're not going to fit in, we, we want not to fit in simply because of the decisions we've made for Jesus Christ in a non-judgmental, non-condemning way. And it's all about an attitude. I can abstain from things without judging people who don't. And so this is Daniel and Azariah, Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They never said, all of you guys eating the king's meat are defiled. They simply went secretly to the guy and said, please don't make us do this. It's going to defile us. And the person, the guy said, look, if you show up in front of the king looking all, you know, flabby and out of shape, he's going to take my head off. He's going to kill me. So you're going to eat this stuff. And here's what Daniel said. Test us for 10 days. Test us for 10 days. And at the end of this 10-day test, do with us what you want. We'll do whatever you say, but test us for 10 days. And so he fed them vegetables and water for 10 days. And after 10 days, they were in better shape than all of the others. So he said, okay, you guys continue to do what you want. It's cool. God will make provision for the commitments that you have made to him. You have to believe that God is going to make provision for the commitments that you've made to him. And so we see that God made this provision. And then we see that there's all these these trials and tests that they go through. You know, there was this test that happened in in Daniel chapter 2, I believe it is, where the king had a dream. And he thought, you know, I desperately need to know the interpretation of this dream. But if I tell all of my wise men and my enchanters and my musicians, if I tell them the, the dream, they're just going to make up an interpretation. How do I know that they're going to give me the real interpretation? The only way I can know is if I don't tell them the dream. If they can tell me what the dream is, then I can believe that their interpretation is correct. So he goes into his court. He calls them all in. He says, okay, I had a dream last night. They're like, great, lay it on us. We'll interpret it. He goes, not so fast. Tell me the dream. Hey, what you talking about, king? He said, if you can tell me the dream, then I know that you're telling me the right interpretation. And they're like, nobody can do that. He said, I'll tell you what. If you can't tell me the dream, you're all worthless. I'm going to have all of you killed, cut into pieces, and your, heart, your houses burned down to rubble. And they were like, king, this is jacked up, man. This is messed up. You can't do this. No king has ever done this. And he said, fine. And he calls in his executioner. He says, kill them all. And go throughout my kingdom and kill all of the wise men. Which included Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. So Arioch, the commander of the king, he goes out to execute the order. And Daniel hears, man, he's about to go out and start shaking people. So Daniel walks up to him and he goes, why did the king issue such a harsh order? And why is it so urgent? And he told him the story. And so Daniel went in before the king. He said, give me time and I'll tell you the dream and its interpretation. So the king stayed the executions. And Daniel went to his friends, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. He said, y'all better go into your prayer closets and start praying right now. He, called, he sent an email to all of his friends. He was sending out text messages, putting it on Facebook. All of y'all start praying. I need you praying, and I don't want to hear you're tired or you got a busy work schedule. This is serious. You know, there comes a time when you say pray for me, but there's another time when you say pray for me. No, I mean right now. 
I'm not talking about one of those, I'll pray for you later. No, you're going to pray for me right now. Stop what you're doing. I need everybody fasting and praying. And you, gotta, you better pray in tongues. If you ain't got tongues, you get some tongues. But you figure you're going to pray for me. And the scripture says that Daniel began to pray and seek the face of God. And the scripture says that in the middle of the night, the mystery was revealed to him. This is a key. In the middle of the night, meaning he was asleep. And the Lord woke him up and gave him the mystery. So often God doesn't speak to you while you're praying. He speaks to you after you've prayed and gone on about your business. Why? Because he does not want you to put your trust in that amount of time that you pray. The amount of time that you set aside for God is the one step you take towards God. But when you take that one step towards God, he takes ten steps towards you. And so after Daniel had come to the end of his prayer, he had come to the end of his rope, God did something outside of the boundaries of that time that Daniel had spent with God. It's wonderful when God meets you in prayer, but we want to get to the place where God begins to meet us outside of the boundaries of the time that we've set aside for God. Why? Because the object is not simply to have an hour a day in fellowship with God. The object is to have a life spent with God. So just like marriage, it's not about, okay, I'm going to carve out an hour for my wife every day. Or two hours for my wife every day. And I can say it's a great marriage when I spend two hours a day with my wife. Say, how's your marriage? It's great. I spent two hours with my wife every single day. And at the end of that two hours, I say, bye-bye. No, it's about living our lives together. It's, it's, about, it's about exceeding even the ability to quantify the amount of time that we spend together. It's like we live together, and there's no clocking in and clocking out. It's living together, but you've got to start somewhere. You got to start with an hour. Start with 30 minutes. Start with something that you give to God. Just give him some space to work. And for so many of us, we're waiting for God to change our lives. Oh, God, break through here. Oh, God, do this. And we're crying. We have these cries in our hearts for God to do something, but God doesn't have any time to work because we don't give him any of our time. You see, God wants to burst the boundaries at the time we give him, but we got to start by giving him some time to work with, give him some space. And so, so Daniel, he goes into the king's court the next day. He interprets the dream. He gives him the dream and then interprets it. And the king fell prostrate before him and, and started worshiping Daniel and ordered that a sacrifice be offered to him and then put him in a position of high authority and lavished him with gifts. God was setting up Daniel to become the ruler of the whole kingdom. Isn't it funny that it seemed like God had lost? Israel had been conquered. And what did God do? He took one of his own people and put him in second command of the entire empire. Same thing he did with Joseph in Egypt. God knows at the very place where you feel like you've lost your authority, God knows how to restore it. But so often he'll restore it in a way that's completely different than you expect. Keep that in mind. Now, I'm going to skip over to Daniel 6 because in Daniel 6... Something very interesting happens, and I think what we're going to see here in Daniel 6 is we're going to find out the foundation, because Daniel, he does, he's got impeccable integrity. His character is impeccable. He's put in situations where he's tempted to, 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 to compromise his integrity, but he refuses to do it. But what we're going to find is that the foundation of that was not ethics, 
He's not just a moral person. He's not just a person of high integrity. He's not just a wise person or a learned person. Underneath all of it, he's a man of prayer. Underneath all of it, he's a man of prayer. And if you miss that foundation, you're going to grasp. You're going to you're going to 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 grasp for the rest of it for the rest of your life and never obtain it. It starts with the foundation of prayer. Here's what we see. All right. So I'm in Daniel chapter six. Now, what happens in Daniel chapter six is that uh, the the Babylonian Empire has come to an end. First, it was Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon. He oversaw the whole Babylonian empire. He di- and Daniel serves him. He dies. His son, Belshazzar, becomes king. And uh, Daniel didn't have too much regard for him. You know, uh, the mene, mene, tekel, parsons thing, the writing on the wall. Daniel comes in and interprets it and says, you're going down. Basically, God said, it's over for you. Mene, mene, tekel, parsons. Uh, you know, and it means your kingdom has been weighed and found lacking and it will be divided. And so sure enough, he was put out. He was killed. The Babylonian Empire overthrown. And then Darius, the king of the Medes, came in and established the, 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 the Persian Empire. Okay? So now Daniel is still serving in the court of Darius, the king of the Medes. When we get to chapter 6, Darius, he comes in and he has this newly formed empire and he completely reorganizes the governmental structure of the empire. So what he does is he breaks up the empire into to 120 states, we can say. And he puts a governor over each of those 120 states. They call them satraps. You can see this in Daniel chapter 6. But over those 120 satraps or 120 governors, he puts three administrators. And those three administrators were the top-level leaders in the entire empire. I mean, literally, everyone in the empire, every single position of authority somehow made its way back to one of those three. And Daniel was one of the three. So Daniel, he's like second in command of the entire empire. And Darius loved the guy. I mean, he found him to be wise and learned and skilled and, you know, positive. And, you know, don't you just love working with people who are just, you know, encouraging and joyful and bubbly and resourceful and knowledgeable and willing to work and a servant's heart. And Daniel was excellent in all that he did. And so, but everybody else hated him and they, the other governors hated him. The other administrators hated him. They wanted to have him removed. And so they started combing through his life with the fine tooth comb, looking for skeletons in his closet. I mean, they examined his work schedule. They wanted to make sure he came in on time and left early. If they found he came in late and left early, they were going to report it back to the king. Darius, Daniel, he's, he's in the last three months, he's missed this much work. Why? Because he comes in 30 minutes late every day and leaves 20 minutes early. No, Daniel came in early and left late. They couldn't c- criticize him there. Does he take long lunch breaks? Nope. He comes back right at the time he's supposed to come back. Is he using company resources for personal use? Nope. He only uses company resources for company purposes. Is he overpaying himself? Nope. He's not overpaying himself. Is he, is he you know, shirking his work and giving it to others? Nope. He's carrying his own load. I mean, Daniel is doing the stuff. Let me ask you a question. If some folks in your company hated you and wanted to get you fired because of your faith in Jesus Christ, could they find something against you? accept your faith in Jesus Christ. They hated on me. Well, what did they have against you to hate on? 
At the end of the day, these people said there's nothing we can find in Daniel. The scripture said that he was neither corrupt nor negligent. Yeah. He, they, could, they said we will never find charges against him in his work. The only way we can get him is simply to go right after his faith in God. Yeah. We have to attack. Listen, if I get attacked, I simply want to be attacked because of my faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. See, the problem is, we, most of us never get persecuted for our faith in Jesus Christ because there's too much other stuff to attack in our lives. The devil doesn't have to attack our faith in Jesus because we got so much other junk. And you say, they're hating on me at my job because of my faith. Is that what they said? Are they hating on you because you come in late and leave early? Are they hating on you because you don't know how to do your work with any excellence and you're playing gospel music at your workspace but not getting your work done? Are they hating on you because you got, a, you got a bumper sticker that says, Jesus is my co-pilot, but you drive 45 miles over the speed limit? <laughs> Come on, somebody. I mean, you can hate on me. I just want to make sure that what, see, if you, if you persecute me because of my faith in Jesus, I consider it a compliment. But if you have other stuff in my life to persecute, I consider that a detriment to my character. Something's wrong with me if you got anything else to say except for my faith in Jesus Christ. They combed through Daniel's life and could find nothing against him. They said the only thing we could find against him is that he serves God. And they start watching his life. They said we need to find something about his devotion to God that we can somehow bring into conflict with the order of this empire. And so they watched him. And what they discovered was that like clockwork, he prayed every day at the same times, plural, and in the same place. He would, in his house, early in the morning, he would come out on the balcony and open the windows and stretch out his hands toward Jerusalem. And he would pray and seek the face of God. And then when he would come home for lunch in the middle of the day, he would open up those windows and stand out on his balcony and stretch out his hands toward Jerusalem and pray and seek the face of God. And then in the evening when he would come home for the night after he'd had his dinner, he would open up those doors of his balcony and stretch out his hands toward heaven and pray and seek the face of God. He had three prayer meetings a day, every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, regardless of how busy he was. Regardless of how tired he was, regardless of how upset he was about something that happened in the office, I mean, he would get in a fight with his wife and still go open up those windows and pray. Oh, come on, somebody. Because that's why you didn't pray last week, because your wife said something that made you mad. I know, Guillermo. <laughs> I'm not trying to say no names, but, you know, Sean told me that he couldn't pray. <laughs> because, see, if I pray after getting in a fight with my wife, I feel like a hypocrite. Because I'm going to go into the prayer closet. I'm just going to go into my room and seek God's face after I just yelled at my wife. So the best thing to do after fighting with my wife is not pray at all, right? No. Absolutely not. That's the lie of the enemy, that you're a hypocrite for seeking God's face because you messed up 10 minutes ago. Listen, if I messed up, I need to be in my prayer closet even more. That's exactly why I need to. See, this is the thing. A lot of people say, why don't you pray? Well, because I'm not close to God. 
Hello? How come you don't work out? Because I'm not in shape. When I get in shape, then I'll start working out. Because working out is only for people who are in shape. How come you didn't go to church this Sunday? Because I messed up this week. I did something wrong. I did something bad. How come you didn't go see the doctor? Because I was too sick. See, when I know I'm completely healthy, then I'll go see the doctor. But if I have sickness in my body, can't come see you this week, doc. I'm sick. How come you didn't go see your therapist? I was too depressed. That's even more reason why we should pray. And that lie of the devil will come. You can't pray now after you did that. No, I need to pray even more after I did that. After I said that, I really need to pray now. Matter of fact, I'm going to pray more than I would have prayed before. Now I know I need to seek the face of God because it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my mama, not my daddy, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And so Daniel, he established this discipline in his life. No matter what happens, I'm going to pray. And that was the driving voice, force, voice. <laughs> that was the driving force beneath all of his success. Yeah, 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 yeah. Beneath all of his endeavors is that he established a fundamental commitment. And I don't believe he started out with three prayer meetings. I think he started out with one prayer meeting. And I think he prayed every day at that time, but came to the place where one prayer meeting didn't scratch the itch. You know you're beginning to grow in your spiritual life when you get finished with your time in prayer and you walk away feeling like, I need more. You don't start out with that. I remember when I started out establishing the discipline of prayer and I thought, I'm going to pray for an hour. I couldn't focus for 10 minutes. My mind was wandering and going here and there. And I was, by 30 minutes into it, I was like, Lord, please let that clock move. You know, I, I would close my eyes and I would pray fervently and I would think hours went by and I'd open my eyes and it had been three minutes. I've been there. I know what it's like. But if you're consistent with that time, if you say, I'm going to learn how to fill this time with God's presence. As you grow, you come to the place where you walk away from that hour and you feel like, but I need more. Daniel came to the place where he said, man, this one hour does not sustain me through the day i got to pray again at night. And so he added a second nightly prayer meeting. But then he came to the place where he said, this still doesn't sustain me. I need to be refueled in the middle of the day. So he started coming at lunchtime, and he added a third prayer meeting. And pretty soon he's praying three times a day, probably for like three hours a day, just seeking the faith. I mean, he's ta- he's, you know what he's trying to do is play connect the dots. He's trying to give God some dots to connect. And here's the thing. You know, I remember when I was a, a freshman in Bible college, I used to think, you know what I want to do is heal the sick. I want to be able to lay my hands on sick people and they get healed. And I remember thinking, I bet if I pray an hour every day, God will give me the anointing to heal the sick. So I started praying an hour every morning. And then going out and praying for sick people in the street, and visiting hospitals and praying for people, nobody got healed. So I remember thinking, I know what I need. I need two hours a day. 
So I started praying for two hours a day and going out and praying for sick people. Nobody got healed. So then I started praying three hours a day. And then I started praying four hours a day. I got to five hours a day. And after five hours a day and nobody was getting healed, I started thinking, something is wrong. So I added a day of fasting in the middle of my week. And I would pray 12 hours on Wednesdays. And then I started adding once a month going in to pray for a weekend. I'd go in Friday morning and come out Sunday morning and go to church. And still nobody's getting healed. And you know what I started feeling? I started feeling like no matter how much I pray, I'll never be able to attain this. What I was trying to do was establish a cause and effect relationship in my prayer life. And what I didn't realize is that cause and effect only works in the natural, not the supernatural. Cause and effect only works in the physical realm. It doesn't work in the spirit. God is not a Coke machine that if you put in two quarters, you get out of Coke. You can never find the recipe for getting something from God that you want. And so I started crying out to God and seeking an answer. And I'll never forget the, the night the Lord spoke to me so clearly. There was a vacuum cleaner in my room. And the Lord talked to me about that vacuum cleaner. I know you're waiting to hear this. The Lord said, Benjamin, plug that vacuum cleaner in for an hour. And then unplug it and try to use it. I said, Lord, that won't work. He said, now plug it in for two hours and then unplug it and try to use it. I said, Lord, that won't work. He said, plug it in all night long and then unplug it tomorrow morning and try to use it. I said, Lord, it won't work. He said, plug it in for three days. Get it good and charged up and then unplug it and try to use it. I said, Lord, it won't work. He said, neither can you unless you abide in me. The next day I went to the prayer chapel. I spent my time in prayer and I came out. But when I walked out, I didn't stop praying. I was walking. I said, Lord, I'm going to abide in you. I don't even know what this means or how to do it. But God, I'm going to do it. Oh, God. Lord, I'm still with you. I'm not done praying. I'm not going to stop just because my time is up. I want, I want my time with you to exceed the time that I've set aside. I want more than connect the dots. I want more than this hour or that hour or that hour. I want to walk with you. I want to abide with you. And all of a sudden, that's when I told you this story before. I saw the lady got hit by a car on the street. And the Lord said, now go pray for her. And I argued with God, finally relented and went and prayed for her. And she got healed. She, she had two broken legs, got up and was completely healed. Her baby you know, was completely healed. And, and, and God showed me it's about abiding in him. And here's the thing. The, the point I'm making is that when you pray, you never feel like your prayer has accomplished anything. This is why so many people don't pray. Because you pray for an hour and you feel like nothing changed. That didn't do nothing, man. This doesn't work. That's like going to the gym and running on a treadmill for 30 minutes and then going and standing on the scale. I didn't lose any weight. This doesn't work. But it's far different because here's the key. You have no idea what's happening in the spirit when you pray. 
And you never know what has happened in heavens. You never know what God has released or imparted into your life. You never feel it. Like You never come to the end of your prayer time and hear God say, Now I'm going to enumerate what I've done for you during this time. Here's what we've accomplished together. Bullet point number one. You have a greater level of holiness now. Bullet point number two. You have 15% more power to heal the sick. Bullet point number three. You're 50% of the way towards the authority to cast out demons. Keep going. Within three months, you'll be casting out demons everywhere you go. God doesn't give that kind of information. So now Daniel, he's praying every day, and he has no idea the power of it, but he simply knows that he must honor his commitment. And so these satraps, these governors, they say, we got him. What they learned about him is that rain, snow, sleet, or shine, he was going to be in that window praying. What they learned about him is that everything could fall apart in the empire and he would stand in his window praying. An enemy could attack the the country and attack the city and he would stand in that window praying. They knew that there was nothing that they could do to stop him from praying and they said, we're going to use that against him. That's how we'll kill him. So they secretly go to King Darius and they say, King, we got an idea for you. For the next 30 days, we want you to sign a decree stating that no one in your kingdom can pray to anyone but you. King said, I think that's a marvelous idea. Yes, let us do that. And he signed it. And they walked away laughing. Went to Daniel's house and waited outside his window. Oh, we got him now. Hope he doesn't punk out. The scripture says, when Daniel heard of the decree of the king, when he heard it, he saw it. If you go to that window, open up and pray, you're going to be killed. He said, I've got a choice to make. Will I allow the threat of the enemy to overwhelm my commitment to God? He says, no, nothing is going to stop me from honoring my commitment to God. And he went and opened the window and stretched out his hands. And it says he prayed as he had done before, meaning this was his Daily practice. And when they saw it, they went right back to the king with a videotape on their iPhones. Like, king, we got proof. Check this out. Check this out. Put it on the screen. They put it on the big screen up there. They projected it. Daniel praying. And the king was sad in his heart. Why? Because he liked Daniel. He was one of his three, his inner circle. And the king tried to get Daniel off the hook, but he had signed it with his own name, with his own signet ring. It could not be reversed. So finally he gave the order, put Daniel in the lion's den. Now, I've heard this story a million times, and I'm sure you have too. The question I want to ask you today is, if you're Daniel, what do you feel at that point? When they show up at your house... You know why we're here, right? Now, I've always imagined Daniel as just fearless. I'm ready to go to the lion's den. I pray three hours a day. And today when I was in prayer, God spoke to me and said, what I've given you in this time of prayer is the power to shut the mouths of lions. I don't think Daniel had that at all. I think Daniel was freaked out. Like, God, this is rigor. 
this is messed up. What he thought God would do was protect him from the lion's den. He didn't think God would protect him in the lion's den. And so when they throw him in the lion's den, I always imagine Daniel just walking in and saying, silence, my feline friends. Come here. Sit. That's what I always imagined since I was a little kid. I bet he was standing there peeing on himself. Thinking any second, and I bet it was even more nerve-wracking when they didn't spring on him immediately. Hurry up! Don't play with me! Just kill me! Because when, when there's some impending doom and it doesn't happen to you immediately, you're thinking it's probably just going to happen later. Lord, is this revelation going to last? I know they're going to chew me up in the middle of the night. They're just not hungry yet because a goat wandered in here earlier today. And they got their grub on. A lion gets up and walks right up to Daniel. He's shaking. And he goes, meow. Starts licking him. Daniel had to settle into the revelation. His three hours a day in prayer was not anywhere near enough to procure the power to shut the mouths of lions. What God did that night, and it's interesting that God did this not during his prayer time, but after. After he walked away from his prayer closet feeling like nothing happened, Mm. he found himself in a trial in which he discovered, Mm. hey, that time in prayer was far more effective than I thought. See, aren't there people that just spiritually make you mad? You know, the kind of people that say, I was walking down the street yesterday and the Holy Spirit came on me and the heavens opened and 16 angels came and descended and and spoke revelations to me in succession. And then I was taken up to a high mountain and set down in a high place and the snow was around me and I I was taken on the wings of an eagle and, and I flew into the sun and I had a vision of the Son of God seated at the right hand of God. Then I was dropped into the middle of a desert and and the desert broke open and I heard a voice saying, Son of man, can these bones live? And I wasn't even praying or asking God for that. It just happened. You're like, what? God speaks to you when you're not even asking him to? He won't even talk to me if I ask him to. I mean, God visits you? How about Ezekiel? You know, Ezekiel said, I was eating my Fruit Loops one morning when the hand of God took me by the back of the hair and took me into the heavens. I mean, he's eating Fruit Loops. And ah, you know, all of a sudden you're taken into the heavens. Man, he won't take me into the heavens after a full day of prayer. You ever pray and you feel nothing? But this guy over here, he's getting revelations just, you know, in the zoo. (laughs) Walking around Safeway and God's speaking to him. Don't you ever feel like God likes other people more than you? (laughs) And he said he's no respecter of persons, but he sure seems to be. Because some people, just God speaks to them. As soon as they start praying, all of a sudden they're just overwhelmed with the power of the Holy Spirit. But me, seems like I can pray all day and nothing happens. Let me tell you something. Every time you pray, something happens. Every time. That something is not a quantifiable something. 
that something is not a something that is directly co- correlating, that does not directly correlate to the amount of time or the level of your fervency in prayer. Amen. What God does in, in response to the time that you give him is always exceedingly abundantly and above all you could ever ask or imagine. Always. It's always greater. It's always more. It's never warranted by what you did. What he has planned for you cannot be explained by the amount of time that you've given him or the level of faithfulness that you've shown him. He always has something greater and something more. Always. That is, if you simply give God your time, what God does in response to it will always burst the boundaries of that time and go beyond what you've done in it. God has something awesome to do, and it is not because of what you've done. It's because of those twins named Grace and Mercy. (laughs) Daniel finds himself in a moment in which he beholds an act of God, a divine intervention that cannot be quantified by the level of his devotion. God, this is too much. This is too much. This is more than I could ever ask or imagine. You know, it's funny. I read that scripture for years and didn't get it. And my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly and above all that you could ever ask or imagine according to the power that's already at work in you. And I used to read and say, yeah, I know you're able, but you don't. (laughs) Saying that you're able doesn't help me. I know you're able, but are you willing? Because I can ask and imagine a lot. And in my experience, you tend to do less than I ask or imagine exceedingly and abundantly beneath what I ask and imagine. If I ask for ten, you may give me three. You ever have that experience? And probably none. My dad explained that verse more, uh, more clearly than I ever heard it before. He said, I used to read that verse and think, God, you just don't do that for me. He said, then all of a sudden my kids grew up and all three of my sons served the Lord. They all went into the ministry. I never asked for that. I couldn't have even imagined that. He said, and now I have four grandchildren. I never asked for that. I couldn't have even imagined that. My son pastors a church, you know. I mean, he starts talking about what God did through his kids. He said, all of my kids love me and my wife. We have a wonderful relationship with all of our sons. I couldn't have even imagined that. And my sons love each other. They have intimate relationships with one another. I couldn't have even imagined that. He says, and I look at what God has has done in my life, and I know I don't deserve it. I know I did stuff to mess this up. I should have never had what I have right now. I couldn't have even asked for it or imagined it, but God did it because that's who he is. I'm telling you, God is setting you up for something that goes beyond what you could ask or imagine. I'm, t- I'm telling you, he's planned stuff that your eyes has not, have not seen, your ears have not heard, your minds have not conceived. He's setting you up, but you got to believe it every day. God is setting me up for something awesome. God is set- And the reason we don't spend time with God in prayer is because we think he's kicking us in the teeth and giving us the short end of the stick and refusing to give us what we deserve. We think that he, is, he has left us in the lurch or, or that he, he has refused to answer our cry 
lie. But I'm telling you today that all of that stuff is a lie from the enemy. It's all a lie from the devil. I'm telling you that he has planned good for you and not evil. He knows the plans that he has for you, plans of good and not of evil, to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. And that's why he says, now you can call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you did not know. Daniel made a decision. I'm going to seek the Lord, period. And I'm not going to change my commitment based upon the outcome of my situation. We tend to be fair weather prayers. Stuff's going good. I praise you, Lord. Stuff's going bad. God, how come? Give God time. Give God time. And I got a couple things I want to share with you, and I'm going to end real quick. I promise. Because there's got to be some game on today. I probably don't know <laughs> who's playing today. Ain't no game today? Oh, Miami Heat is playing today. <laughs> Who are they playing? Spurs. Yeah, come on, somebody. No, no, no. Wait a minute. I got that backwards. Whoa. <laughs> no, no, no. Switch that. Because LeBron plays for Miami, right? All right, yeah. Go Miami. <laughs> I don't know. Whoever wins, I'm going to root for them. <laughs> All right, yeah, because yeah, I'm not a good. There was a day when all of a sudden my desire for the Lord just overtook me. And I went and locked myself in a room. And I prayed all day. Literally from morning to night. Just sought the face of God. And, you know, what I expected was completely unmet by God. Number one, I thought during that time, he would just meet me powerfully, you know? He would come. At least I would feel his presence. Because, you know, that's what I want. When I pray, I want to feel his presence. You know, I want to feel him in my physical body. I want to feel him in my face and in my chest and in my hands. I want to feel his power. And that's what I expected. That's why I prayed, because I was just hungry for the presence of the Lord. His presence didn't come all day long. I mean nothing. Nothing, you know. I felt a little little air at one point. I thought, is that the wind of the spirit? Is that the wind of the spirit? Then I noticed the AC was on. It's a vent right there. You ever pray and ask God to speak to you? You hear something and there's a tree rustling outside. The prayer chapel at the church I grew up at, there was these beams that went up to the top, and this woman named Alma was in there praying, Oh Lord. Speak to your servant. And a little kid climbed up there above the... <laughs> Alma. <laughs> yes, Lord. Your servant hears, oh God. Alma. <laughs> that was jacked up. But she was convinced. She heard God speaking in an audible voice. I mean, she was shaking and crying. <laughs> but all he said was, Alma. <laughs> Fake it till you make it. <laughs> should do that for one another. <laughs> it's a new form of prophecy. I prayed all day. Nothing changed. Nothing happened. I was disappointed. I went to sleep that night disappointed. But then I thought, I know. God's saving it for the service tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, the power of God's going to fall. And the whole congregation is going to be slain in the spirit. And folks are going to get out of wheelchairs. And they're going to 
break casts off their legs. They're going to tear you know, patches off their eyes. I mean, folks are going to get healed right and left. I just know the power of God's going to sweep over the place and revival's going to break out and sweep across the nation. Amen. <laughs> and it was one of the deadest services. <laughs> I couldn't even get people to say amen while I was preaching. <laughs> you know, when people don't say amen, the preacher just wants to quit the ministry. <laughs> and so I was kind of mad, you know. I was like, really, God? After all that, you couldn't at least... Sprinkle a little Holy Spirit on us or something. You know, just a little bit. Something. And so I walked away from there kind of frustrated. My wife and I went down to San Luis Obispo to just relax for a few days and hang out with her sister. And the next day, it was a Monday, Sonny said, we're going to go to so-and-so's house for dinner. And I didn't want to go to so-and-so's house for dinner. Because when I'm on vacation, I'm not ministering to nobody. You know, I turn off my phone. Don't call me for prayer. Don't email me or Facebook me saying you need to meet. Just meet with Jesus. Talk to him. He will be your pastor. He's the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Amen. So they said, we're going to go have dinner. And I I was about to say, well, you guys go ahead. I'm just going to stay here and relax. But I saw the look on my wife's face. And that look told me that wasn't an option. Husbands, you got to get that look down. you got to know that look. There would be so much conflict that you would be spared if you simply learned the look. He said, baby, get ready. we got to go to dinner. Said, I'm getting dressed right now. Put on my shirt right now. So I went and put on my shirt and got dressed, and we went to dinner. We're sitting there having dinner, and uh, they say, uh, the, the, the man and wife, you know, we had just met them for the first time, and they said, Oh, pastor, so good to have you in our home. I said, oh, thank you, thank you. Great, they know I'm a pastor. <laughs> what you tell them that for? You know? They said, before the, tonight's over, we need you to pray for us. Said, oh, great. <laughs> I'm on vacation. Praying for nobody? You know, Jesus is right here for you. You can talk to him directly. You don't need a mediator. Only one mediator between God and man. Jesus the man. <laughs> you know? The Lord said, you need not anyone to pray for you. You know, that's the word I'm going to give you. And so I tried to change the subject. I said, okay, great, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're sitting at the table, and they're like, yeah, pastor, we really need you to pray for us. I'm like, okay, great. Man, this house is beautiful. You know, you got, how long have you lived here? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we need you to pray for us. And I'm trying to get out of it. You know, I'm trying to, like, find a way around it. And so the evening is ending, and I said, well, I guess we should go. And they said, not till you pray for us. I said, all right. All right. <laughs> Let's make it quick. Get it over with. Because, you know, my prayers don't seem to do anything. That's really why I don't feel like praying. Because nobody got time for that. It takes too much time. Nothing really happens. Maybe if somebody spiritual was here, they could pray for you. See, really what I was feeling was not like a, I don't feel like praying. It was, I don't feel like praying because I'm discouraged about prayer right now. Because my prayers, they seem to stay right in the room with me. My prayers don't have the strength to, to penetrate the ceiling. God doesn't hear them. He definitely doesn't do anything. But I guess I got to do this, so let's make this as painless as possible. So they sat down. 
And I bowed my head to pray, and we started praying. And I opened my eyes, and I saw Jesus walk in. Oh, man. (laughs) I mean, I saw him. I saw him walk in. And he stood behind the husband and just put his hand on his shoulder. And he just smiled. He looked at me and he smiled. And I was broken. I'm like, I'm supposed to be praying for them. (laughs) And I said to the husband, I said, you know, You've been asking the Lord for a friend. But today the Lord has come to be that friend. And he just started to weep. Just feel the presence of the Lord. You know what? It was over. I walked away and I thought, Lord, all that time I thought you were doing nothing. But actually you were opening me up. And preparing me for this moment of revelation. In which you wanted to show me your glory. And cause me to see who you are. See, I thought it was empty because I felt nothing happen in the moment. But what I'm learning is that it's never empty. It's never empty, and this is the key. I prayed all day, and nothing happened. I'm pushing my way into the presence of God. Nothing. And at a moment when I'm not even thinking about, I don't even want to pray. I bow my head, and Jesus walks into the room. It starts, see, a lot of times we say, well, it's not about your effort. But sometimes it starts with your effort. That's right, yes. It starts with me making a decision. This is the only way I know how to pursue you. But I know that the the moment is coming when you're going to overtake my effort. You know, there's this guy named Charles Finney. Charles Finney talked about his, he told his testimony. He said he was going to church faithfully, but he didn't really know God. And he felt. He was even in leadership in the church. But he knew in his heart he wasn't even really a Christian. He's like, I don't even really know if this Jesus stuff is true because I've never really met him. I don't really have a relationship with him. But he was faithful to the church. He was in the choir. He was even on the leadership team. And he would go to Bible study and get in theological debates with people. But in his heart he just felt like a hypocrite because he's like, I don't even really know God. And one day he thought, you know what? I'm sick of this. I can't go on like this anymore. I need to know him. I mean, I need to really know him. I mean, I need a real transformation, a conversion to happen in my heart. So he went up into the mountains and sat down under a tree. And he said, God, I'm going to sit here till you meet me. And he said, the moment I said that, my heart was filled with anxiety. Nothing's going to happen. You better get out of here. What are you doing sitting under the tree and God's going to speak to you because you're sitting under a tree? You know what it was? It was the accusation of the enemy. The moment you set your heart to seek the face of God, the enemy is going to come and say all kinds of junk to you. He fought those voices for hours. Hours. He just sat there under the tree. No, God, I'm not moving till you come. I'm going to sit here till you. You're going to meet me. I've got to know you. I've got to have a real relation. This thing has to be real. And he sat there all day long. And didn't feel anything but the accusation of the enemy. And all of a sudden, late in the evening, God's presence came. And he said he was overwhelmed with the sense of the presence of God. And he felt like he was being washed and cleansed and forgiven. 
And he said all of a sudden he was flooded with joy. And he said, he said, I tried to feel conviction for my sin. I thought, you know what? At this moment, I need to feel sorry for my sins. But he said, no matter how hard I try, I couldn't feel any more guilt. It was taken away. And he said, no, no, no. I need to make myself mourn for my sin. But he said, no matter how hard I tried, all I could do was rejoice and worship God and rejoice and worship. And, and, and he was overtaken. But then months went by and years went by and he came to the place where he realized he needed something more. He said, you know what I need is an Acts 2 experience. I need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He said, I need, I just need the, to be overtaken by God. I need God to overwhelm me and, and fill me to overflowing. And so he starts praying and asking God, now fill me, God. Fill me. I mean, I, I know I know you, but I need to just be filled and overwhelmed with your presence and power. And he prayed for weeks and months and nothing happened. And he said, one day he was walking down the street and he just came to the end of it. He said, I'm done with this. And he stood in his place. He said, Lord, I will not move from this spot until you overwhelm me with your spirit and your power. And sure enough, all those voices of accusation came back. Man, you're silly. You're going to stand here for, you're going to starve to death standing here. God's not coming to you. He fought all of those voices. He fought them off. And he said within 15 or 20 minutes, all of a sudden, this flood of the power of the Holy Spirit came. And he said it was like a baptism of liquid love. And this is how he described that moment. He said, until that day, I had to carry my water supply with me. But from that moment, I was carried on a river. Amen. All of a sudden, a river came and overtook me. This is the Christian life. We feel like in order to stay spiritually alive, we've got to carry our water supply. And it's heavy. And I have to pray. And I have to seek God. And it's hard sometimes. And it feels like I don't want to be there, but I've got to make the time anyway. And it feels like nothing's happening. But at a certain point, if we are faithful and we seek the face of God, all of a sudden, the river comes. And God overtakes our discipline. And God overtakes our, our devotion. And God overtakes our commitments. And suddenly, God begins to carry us on a river. And when the river comes, he carries us to places that we could never go by our discipline. He carries us to places that we could never go by our devotion. He carries us to higher heights and deeper seas. And I'll say to you, I'm not here because I pray. I can't pray enough to get here. I'm here because God is gracious. I'm here because he's loving. I'm here because he's faithful. I'm here because God is merciful. I'm here. I'm here because of God, not because of me. I can never pray enough to deserve this. But my God is so gracious and, and so loving. My God is so awesome and he's got so much love Finney went home and he said all night long he kept waking up throughout the night and when he would wake up he burst into thanksgiving and burst into worship and the spirit of God it says tears were streaming down his face and the presence of God was so thick in his room he said in the morning, a young man across the street had heard the commotion and ran over to see what had happened. And the moment that young man walked in the room, the presence of God hit him and he fell to the, faith, to the floor and began repenting and weeping before God. And another young man came in to see what was happening. and The presence of God hit him and he fell to the floor and began laughing and rejoicing in the Lord. All of a sudden, there was this outflow, this overflow of the Spirit of God that burst the boundaries of his personal devotion. But he had to go through that season where he said, I'm just going to be faithful. I'm going to pray. I don't sense anything happening, but I'm going to pray. I don't see anything changing, but I'm going to pray. Listen, I'm telling you, I don't care who you are, even if you're an atheist here. Even if you're an agnostic, you say, I don't know if God is real. Let me tell you something. If you simply make time for God every day and say, I'm going to seek his face every day. God, if you're real, I'm here. If you're, but not just once. 
I'm talking about go back to it every day. I don't care what kind of what kind of problems or addictions or temptations you're struggling with in your life. Make the decision. I'm going to seek God's face every day. I'm going to seek him every day. I'm telling you, if you seek him every day, things are going to change in your life. Your life will not remain the same. And this is the key. You know, there's temptations and stuff that we think we're supposed to deal with for the rest of our lives. And we say, this is my thorn in the flesh. You're not supposed to deal with that for the rest of your life. If you would set your face to the Lord, God can break it off of you in three days. You know, when God brought the children of Israel to, the, to Mount Sinai, to the base of Mount Sinai, God appeared to Moses and said, tell the people to sanctify themselves for three days and then be ready on the third day because I'm coming. For three days, Israel sanctified themselves. God said, wash your clothes, and they wash your clothes. God said, stay away from sexual immorality. They stayed away from sex. God said, for three days, you do your best to fight the devil off. For three days, you do your best to resist temptation. For three days, you do your best to clean your garments, to wash your hands, but be ready on the third day, because on the third day, I'm coming. And on the third day, God overtook their work of sanctification with his work of sanctification. God came and sat on the mountain in fire, and all of a sudden, the power of God came and now there's no more resistance of the devil because the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you on the third day he arose again from the dead on the third day you know what his crucifixion was he descended into hell and he did battle with the devil for three days but on the third day he snatched the keys of death and hell out of the hand of the devil and he arose from the dead with all power in his in his hands i'm telling you that you're in a battle and you're in a test and you're in a temptation but it is measured the lord says i have measured it and i've determined the boundaries of it i say that it is only a short time just a little while and the devil will be no more be of good cheer for the god of peace will soon crush satan under your feet if you make a decision to seek him every day god is going to explode the boundaries of your devotion He's going to not just fill the time you give him, but he's going to come to you in times when you didn't give him. He's going to come and take stuff that you didn't offer him. He's going to come and fill stuff that you didn't lift up to him. He's going to come speak to you when you weren't looking for a word. He's going to give you a vision when you weren't asking for a vision. He's going to visit you in the night seasons and speak to you in your dreams. But it's about making a decision. I'm going to seek him. I don't feel anything changing, but I'm going to seek him. I don't see anything changing, but I'm going to seek him. I don't hear anything, but I'm going to seek him. I'm telling you, he said, call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you did not know. He said, seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. He says, I will be found of you and God says that I'm going to allure you into the wilderness and speak comfort to you there and I'm going to give you back your vineyards and I'm going to turn the valley of trouble into a door of hope and I know many of you are standing today in the valley of trouble but God says I'm getting ready to turn the valley of trouble into a door of hope. It's not dependent upon who you are. It's not dependent upon what you've done or where you've been. It has nothing to do with your education. It has nothing to do with your experience. It really doesn't even have anything to do with your devotion. The question is, will you get before the Lord and wait long enough for him to come and overtake you? And I'll end with this. There was a former slave half-blind black preacher named William Joseph Seymour who in 1901 made a decision 
I'm going to just pray five hours a day. He got on his knees before the Lord every morning. Half blind, uneducated, former slave, black preacher, unknown, inexperienced, 51 years old. But he made a commitment, I'm going to pray. For five years, he prayed five hours a day. Nothing seemed to happen. But at the end of the fifth year, he went to Los Angeles. And the Spirit of God broke out through him. And God began what became known as the Azusa Street outpouring, which gave birth to the worldwide Pentecostal revival. We stand in the stream of that great revival. Why? Because there was this half-blind, former slave, unknown, uneducated black preacher who simply made a decision, I'm going to pray. I don't care what I see, I'm going to pray and seek the face of God. You have no idea how powerful that is. I don't care who you are. God wants to break the lie of the enemy off your heart. He wants to establish you in the truth. Seek him and you'll find him. Father, I thank you today. I thank you that you're here. And I thank you that you're calling your people. You are calling us. 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 God, open our ears to hear that you are calling us, calling us to approach you, calling us to seek you, calling us to come before you. Today we answer your call. We're going to come. We're going to come. Go ahead and just begin to come right now. Just begin to pray right now. Even right here, right now, your prayers are powerful. This moment is powerful. Maybe you're here today, you don't even know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm not inviting you to an altar to say a prayer. You start talking to him right now. You just start talking to him right now. You invite him to come into your life right now. Jesus, come in. And you make a decision. I'm going to walk with you every day. I'm going to set aside time to be with you every day. I'm going to open up my word and seek your face. The word that you've given me, I'm going to open up the Bible and seek your face. I don't care if you don't understand anything. Just begin to talk to him right now. Begin to seek him. Make a decision right now. Wherever your prayer life is right now, you're going to take it to the next level. You're going to take it to the next level. You're going to get your game on. Come on. It's time to up your game in the prayer closet. It's time to up it. It's time to up it. It's time to to increase. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. Father, deliver us from the disappointment that comes when we don't feel anything. Deliver us from disappointment. Some of us here today are disappointed because we feel like we sought you and did not find you. We feel like we prayed and you did not answer. We feel like nothing happened. We sought your face, but nothing happened. God, right now, I break that disappointment off every life. I break it off every life right now in the name of Jesus. I break. Come on, just begin to pray right now. Begin to renounce that discouragement, that disenchantment, that disillusionment, that disappointment. I just feel it resting in the atmosphere. You feel like you sought him and didn't find him. Let me tell you something. The story is not over. The story is not over. The story is not over. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep asking. Seek and you will find. Ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door will be opened to you. He will come. He will come. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. We say yes. We say yes. We say yes, Lord. We say yes, Lord. We hear you calling, Lord. Jesus, 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 Jesus. 
just take a moment in his presence right now to just begin to seek his face. I, I know we're coming to the end of our time, and I'm not going to keep you forever, but I just want you to take a moment to respond to God. God is speaking here today. Let him hear your voice. Let him hear your voice. In my life, Lord, be glorified. Jesus, be glorified. Jesus, be glorified. Break through that disillusionment, that discouragement that keeps you from your knees. You got to break it off today. You got to break it off today. You got to break free of it today. I know you're disappointed. I know you're discouraged. You can't seem to find your way back to your knees, but God is going to bring you back. God is bringing you back. He's bringing you back. He's bringing you back right now. Some of you hear stuff is falling apart in your life and you're so discouraged about it, you can't seem to pray to save your life. God is breaking that off right now. Just bring it to the Lord. Right where you are, just bring it to the Lord. Say, Lord, I bring you my pain. I bring you my disappointment. I bring you my disillusionment. I bring you my struggle. Lift it off of me, oh God. Lift me up out of it, oh God. Jesus. Jesus, come on. Stand on your feet and just lift up your hands and open your mouth and just begin to pray out loud. I want you to pray out loud right now. The people around you are going to be encouraged by the sound of your voice. Use your voice to push the devil out of the atmosphere. Use your voice to push disillusionment out of the atmosphere. Use your voice to push discouragement out of the atmosphere. You say, I'm not good at praying. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Somebody around you needs to be encouraged, and they're going to be encouraged by the sound of your voice. Just begin to talk to God and tell Him whatever you want to tell Him. Living Hope leaders, I need you to lead the way. Just open your mouth and pray. Some of you don't feel like anything is happening. Forget what you feel. Something's happening right now. Something's happening right now. God is moving right now. God is moving in your life right now. You don't feel like anything's changing. I'm telling you everything is changing. You don't feel like God is with you. I'm telling you he's with you right now. You don't feel like he's touching you. I'm telling you he's touching you right now. You don't feel like he hears you. He hears you. You don't feel like he responds to you. I'm telling you, he responds to you right now. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 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 We thank you that you're doing it right now. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. 
Father, now pour out your spirit like a mighty current upon your people, oh God. Pour out your spirit. Let the Holy Spirit come like a mighty rushing wind. Let it fill the house where we are assembled, oh God. Send the Holy Spirit, oh God. Pour out the Holy Spirit, oh God. Pour out the Holy Spirit, oh God, right now. Right now. Let an outpouring of liquid love, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, come right now. Fill the atmosphere. Fill the atmosphere. Fill every heart. Fill every mind. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come on, it's building, it's building. There's increase in the atmosphere. God has more for you today. He has more for you today. He's got more for you today. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Break that disillusionment. Break that disappointment. Break that discouragement. We break it right now in the name of Jesus. We we release hope right now. 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 We release restoration right now. Send a river of restoration right now. Send a river of restoration right now. Send a river of restoration right now. In the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes. Yes, God. Ooh, hallelujah. 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 The Spirit of God is in this place. The presence of God is in this place. Whatever you ask Him for, He's going to give you what you ask Him for right now. He's going to give you what you ask Him for right now. He said, ask in my name and it will be given you. He said, ask in my name and it will be given to you. Come on, just begin to ask. Begin to lift up your petition to the Father. Whatever you want, ask Him. Ask Him. Ask him, ask him, ask him. Don't be afraid to ask. Lord, I release the confidence to ask. The confidence to ask. The confidence to petition. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Some of you need hands laid on you. You feel like you can't break the discouragement. You feel like you can't break the disillusionment. You feel like you can't break the disappointment. If that's you, come to the altar right now. We're going to lay hands on you, and that's going to break off your life. I'm declaring a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that neither perishes, spoils, or fade. It's reserved in heaven for you who through faith are being shielded by God's power into the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. If you're struggling and you need hands to be laid on you, just come right now. There's a release of the Spirit of God. 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 Thank you, Lord. Lord, increase our capacity for your presence. Increase our capacity for your power. Increase our capacity for your love. Increase our capacity right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Willie Perez, come up here right now. Willie Perez, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Kevin Carrington, come up here right now, please. In the name of Jesus. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. More, Lord. More, Lord. Increase. 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 Increase, increase. Let the power increase. Let there be an increase of your power. Let there be an increase of the outpouring of the Spirit. In the name of Jesus, let every mountain and every hill be made low. Let every valley be exalted. 
Let the crooked places be made straight. Make the crooked places straight. Make the rough places plain. And let the glory of the Lord be revealed, oh God. Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we worship you. Lord, we worship you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, keep going. Gentlemen, the brown in the brown sport coat back there. Yeah, come here, please, sir. I want to pray for you. Yeah. She couldn't have it. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. Don't stop, don't stop. I know you're not used to going this long, but God wants to take you to the next place. How are you, sir? stop don't stop don't stop the spirit of the lord is here the spirit of the lord is here since there's been a change in the atmosphere right now the spirit of God has just broken the stronghold of the enemy he's broken the stronghold of disappointment and disillusionment he's broken the stronghold of discouragement 
And there's many of you here that you need to seek God this week for a mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to say this. I don't want you to get hung up on tongues because this has been the great hang-up in the body of Christ. As soon as we mention baptism of the Holy Spirit, people think, well, I don't agree with that whole doctrine of tongues. Forget about tongues. Seek the Holy Spirit. If you want tongues, seek that too. If you don't want it, don't seek it. But seek God for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Just ask Him for a mighty baptism of fire this week. And if you begin to seek Him every single day, I mean, just seek Him every day, God's going to meet you. This week, I believe that God is going to meet you in ways that are going to change you forever. God's going to meet you in ways that are going to change you forever. But you're going to begin to seek Him. And some of you are just hungry. You're hungry for an overwhelming baptism of fire. You're hungry for a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You're hungry for a a hotter heat, a deeper fire, a more fervent, passionate love for Jesus. Begin to seek Him this week. I'm telling you, if you begin to seek Him and ask Him for it, I don't care who you are, this applies to everybody. I don't care who you are or what your experience has been. If you ask him for more, he's going to give it to you. He's going to give it to you. He's going to meet you. He's going to meet you. You're going to start this week, and I'm telling you, your life will never be the same again. Amen. Lift up your hands to the Lord right now. Father, I speak your blessing over each and every one, and I just declare healing for this man right now. I speak healing to his heart. I speak healing to his liver. I speak healing to his lungs. I speak healing to his ribs. I command the pain to leave your ribs right now in the name of Jesus. I command your body to come into alignment with the word of God and to be whole in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And I speak your blessing over each and every one in this house today. In Jesus' name. I bless the path that lies before you. Father, I give you praise for all that you're doing in our lives. Things seen and unseen, known and unknown, anticipated and unanticipated. You are the Lord of it all. We give you the glory today in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise.